You're visiting the mom next door and our stories of faith. I'm glad you dropped by for a visit. Please stay a while and hear what the Lord has done in the lives of moms just like you and me. You will be drawn in by the testimony you hear today, as was I. But I do want to give you a warning that there is definitely adult content in this story. So you might want to pop in your earbuds or listen to this one when your children are not present. Well, if there was ever a story of hope, of a life transformed, and of God's redeeming power, it is from my friend Kaylee, who I met online, and I was just so drawn in by her story and how God took her life. And I mean, like that verse where it says, you took my feet from like this miry pit and set it on a rock. Like Amen. that's kind of your story. And so anyway, that's how I met you was on online in a zoom meeting. Uh, a, a group of moms were getting together to have like a mom's night out on zoom. And uh, that's where we met and gotten to know each other online a little bit. So we're just going to jump in and get started, I think. So you have a huge story that is a lot to unpack. And we were already talking, you sent me a YouTube video about your testimony and it was an hour long. I sat there totally riveted with all the details and I know we're not going to have a chance to nail all of them, but we're going to link your YouTube video in the show notes if somebody really wants to go and listen to every detail. But just in general, you started out as in your childhood, you had a really rough start. So in order to know Kaylee a little bit better, you're going to need to meet her family and then a little bit of her background story. So Kaylee, why don't you take it from there? Thank you, Pam. Well, yes, my name is Kaylee and I have an amazing husband. We've been married for six years. Um, in July, been together since 2011, and we have three beautiful girls, Jaira, she's four, Nisi, she's two, and Shalom is nine months old. Um, I was born in Louisiana. My parents were married, um, and they struggled because of their past struggles, and um, they were both... Um, broken. So I come from um, generations of addicts and the mentality was drug, sex, and rock and roll. Always. So for me, that was my normal. Whenever I was five, we moved to Missouri from Louisiana. And um, that's when my parents started getting into the drug scene. Um, they started smoking meth, which led to cooking meth in our home. And I would just remember as a child, knowing it was bad, but it was just a part of life. And my dad always tells me this story. Um, when they would sit at the kitchen table, they would play cards and use drugs. I would hide my eyes to run to the bathroom. So there was a sense in me that knew it was wrong, but it was my normal life. At the same time, my grandfather started sexually abusing me and he did it because he loved me is what he said. I do this because I love you. And 
I think that that started a lot of my um, warped perception of what love is. And in school, I remember, this is very detailed, but I feel like it's important. Um, in school, I would masturbate. And my teachers didn't ever say anything about it. But I remember students coming up and asking me, like, what are you doing? What is that? And I was just scared and would run away from them. Um, so there was all these signs in me of sexual abuse, but no one ever picked up on it. And whenever I failed second grade, my parents divorced and I moved back down to Louisiana with my mom. And I shared with her what my grandfather had been doing and she did not tell anyone because I begged her. I was like, please don't tell anyone. He always told me not to tell anyone, but I shared it with her. And, um, and so in fourth grade, from that second year of second grade to fourth grade, my mom fell into a deep addiction and she had sugar daddies. She left me and my siblings with anyone. Um, and that started like sexual exploitation. So like she would have guys come into our rooms, which led to child pornography. Um, and she would sell those pictures for drugs. So my whole childhood was just full of sex. Whenever my mom's dad, um, took us in, I, I seen him masturbating. And so um, when he seen that I seen him, he wanted me to come into the room with him and watch him watch porn. So porn, sex, drugs, dysfunction, chaos was totally normal to me. And I just thought that that's how everyone lived. At this time, we weren't even going to school. My mom was jumping from house to house to house. And we, when we did go to school, we would get in trouble for like not having school supplies, not having our uniform on and different things like that. So I always felt suppressed, never good enough. <laughs> um, like something was wrong with me, my identity. I had no identity. And um, so whenever I was in fourth grade, we moved back to Louisiana with my dad because my mom got caught by the law and went to jail. And they said um, for not sending us to school. And she finally came out, oh, my daughters cannot go back with their dad because their grandfather is sexually abusing them. So it was, she used my hurt and my abuse for her get out of jail free card. Um, they did not believe me. And through that, it also caused me to have a complex of not being understood and not being believed because my dad did not believe me. My family members did not believe me. The courts did not believe me. And so I just figured that's just how it would be. So that was grandfathers on both sides in both mm -hmm. locations that had major issues in, in that and, and gave you this portrayal of sexuality completely upside down. Yes. 
And the, and when you said they, yeah, they didn't believe you. It, it was not just your mom. It was like everybody everywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. So, um, child advocacy got involved in social services and they said, okay, since she did make this claim, we need to investigate. So I went and got checked by child advocacy, went to a counselor and different things like that. I wasn't allowed to be by my grandfather. At this time, my dad had been pretty much slept for five years because he tried to, um, tried to overcome his addiction. And he also struggled with a lot of mental illness, bipolar, schizophrenia, and stuff like that. So he was just trying to get in, in his right mind so that he could get me and my sister back um, from Louisiana. And um, so he started working at a local workshop for people that are disabled. Um, and so while he was working, um, my grandma would watch us, but my grandpa, his dad was not allowed to be there. And I'll never forget, I was 14 years old and I was sleeping and it was the last time my grandfather had sexually abused me. He came up to my room, did it and left. And um, I told my dad, and my dad was very angry because he said I was lying. I was lying and I was tearing our family apart and I needed to stop. And, um, and so my dad was just like, all right, if it is true and if it's not true, we're just going to leave. So we moved away to Nebraska where we lived for four years. Um, and in Nebraska, we went to Catholic schools because we were raised Catholic. Like, we went to church all the time. My grandmother prayed the rosary with us. We, you know what I mean? Um, she, we knew who God was. Um, but my perception of a godly person was twisted because I looked to my grandma of what, who someone that believes in Jesus looks like. And she was angry. She was hateful. She was rude. She was lazy. Like all these things. And I was just like, oh, if that's, I can believe in Jesus and live a sinful life. I can walk in the light and the darkness. And so when we moved, um, I just went to church every day. <laughs> I even shoveled my way through the snow to go to church because I felt so much comfort there. Now that I was away from the abuse, um, I still felt rejection and abandonment by my mother because I always wanted a mother's love. And that's whenever I learned who I want my mom to be and who my mom is are two different people. And I had to like find an acceptance within me so that I did not yearn and become depressed over feeling rejected from my mother. And um, I always told myself, I am going to be a good mom and I'm going to be everything in a mother that my mother was not. And which later on leads to high expectations on myself, which we'll get to that. Um, so, even the priest had a conversation with my dad, like something's wrong with your daughter. She's always coming to church. Like what's going on? Da, 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 da. So that's when my dad wanted me to stop going as much because we were raised, you close your curtains, you lock your doors and you do not tell anyone about anything that's going on in your home. Because if you do, you just are seeking attention. <laughs> so all these layers of insecurities from the rejection and abandonment to being a seeking, uh, attention seeker 
um, not having an identity, feeling like I was just created to be used for sex, um, turned into clouded judgment. So at that point, there was a nun as my teacher and I spilt my guts to her and I told her like my whole life story and everything. And um, I was like, I want to be a nun. I want to enter the convent. Like I felt secure there and I love Jesus. Right. And um, right after that, I signed up and I applied, put my application in to be this nun because you could enter at 16 and I was 16 and I got denied and I felt so sad, <laughs> but ultimately I knew that God had different plans for me. Right after that, we moved back to Missouri and I was in ninth grade because, oh, I need to backtrack. Yeah. So after four years of living in Nebraska, my dad got heavily involved with meth, pure meth. He got involved with the Latin mafia and he was so spun out all the time. He was going through tremendous spiritual warfare. And at that time, it interests me what he was going through because it was a spiritual walk. And I just, I wanted, I was always interested with spiritual things, but this was not a godly spiritual walk. This was a demonic spiritual walk to the point where he woke us up in the middle of the night, terrified that spirits were sucking off of us and that he was going through wormholes and that um, spirit, someone put a curse on our house and they were chanting in the cellar uh, and we like staked out looking for these spirits that were coming to get us and it was super wild um, and I was just like I just want my mom I want to go live with my mom so my dad allowed me and the reason why he allowed me to live with my mom is because my mom always lied about their relationship and everything that happened and I just wanted to believe my mom and so in my eyes, my mom did nothing wrong at this point with everything I was going through. And I was like, I just want my mom. I just want my mom. So my dad wanted me to find out for myself who my mom truly is. And so I moved down there and um, it's like deep South Louisiana. And so the culture shock was huge for me. So I just started acting super ghetto. <laughs> I've completely changed. And I was just like, started, and that's whenever I realized that I had no identity. I just acted like everyone around me. And um, I started to um, say, like, talk bad, think bad. And that led to me staying in my bedroom with my laptop, not wanting to be around my mom because of the drug, sex, rock and roll mentality. And she, um, and she let me, I literally just locked myself in my room. She allowed that. I'm in 10th grade at this point, the beginning of 10th grade year. And I got on online chat rooms and I formed a relationship with a 40 year old man 
And um, we talked all the time. I think I was just super lonely. And now that I look back, I only knew sexual relationships from older men, which led to me pretty much like video, sexually video chatting with this man. And, um, and I was so confused at the time because I said I was older. I was not, I was 16 years old. And, um, I put on this whole facade of who I was and that's not even who I was. Um, And it's not who you wanted to be either. It was just the situation. And like you said, it was, it was what you knew is normal. It is the only way you were ever taught to communicate to people. You're right. And although I never wanted the sexual abuse, I think when someone is sexually abused and that's their life, you start to find comfort in it. Um, Probably because it is your normal, you know? Right. And I'm not going to allow like shame to come in with that because I was a child. Right. And I want to claim what it was. Um, But praise the Lord for his redemption and showing you, showing us what pure sexuality is, how he created it to be instead of how the world has forced itself on us or portrayed sexuality, sexuality to be. And, um, it got really bad. So I called my dad and I was like, I just want to move back home. Please send me a plane ticket. (laughs) And he did. So we're in Missouri, back in Missouri. This is 2010. And I started going to the high school there, the public high school. And I automatically fit in. Like all my friends were popular and I was just like, this is so crazy because I was never so loved in school. But it was boring to me. And I started becoming friends with kids that had a lot of problems. And people call it the wrong crowd. Um, Kids that did drugs and stuff like that, which led to me wanting to do it. So I started using drugs and um, I started smoking weed. And I was in a band. And they said, oh, we'll pay you. to sing with us at parties. And um, I show up for the first band, uh, or for the first gig, I show up for the first gig, and they said, oh, well, we're not gonna pay you in money, we're gonna pay you in alcohol. And I'm 17 at this point. And I was like, okay. So I just like start chugging these wine coolers. I never drank before in my life, I just smoked some weed. Like I said, literally like within a month was my first, drug experience, but I had seen it my entire life. So it wasn't like, oh, I'm scared. It was like, all right, let's do it. And before the party even started, I was drunk. All I remember from that night is being raped by two guys. And I woke up the next morning and I was just like, what happened? How can I, how, did I allow this to happen to me? This was fully in my control. So I really felt ashamed of myself and I really beat myself up. But in order to overcome all of that shame and, and, um, and guilt, I 
suppressed it and tried to escape it, which led to more drug abuse and more drinking more. So then I just started going to a bunch of parties, which led to a party that I guess I was date raped or something. And I just remember five guys tearing all my clothes off. And I woke up the next morning and was like, my dad's going to kill me. I need to get home. So I ran home from where I was. And I was just like, how am I allowing myself? It's the, that point whenever you look in the mirror and you're like, who am I? Like what escalated? What happened for me to escalate and spiral down into this person? So instead of trying to find myself, I just suppressed myself and tried to escape more. And that's whenever I met my now husband. We um, started uh, doing cocaine, acid, meth, drinking a lot, which led to using a needle to shoot heroin. So this is my senior year now and I'm doing heroin as much as I can. And my personality is to go harder, harder, harder. Like if I'm in it, I'm in it. I'm an extremist. And through, from the beginning of my senior year to the end of my senior year, my boyfriend, now my husband, and I always talked about our future and what we wanted our future to be like. And it was never drugs. It was buying a house and having children children and living our best life. Me staying home, him working. What's amazing about that is God blessed us and he gave us our true heart's desire. And how he did that was allowing my husband to die <laughs> pretty much. Three days after I graduated, Jake overdosed on heroin. And I remember turning around because I did a shot of heroin, our friend did, and then Jake did. And I turned around and the needle was still hanging out of his arm and he was gasping for air. I had no idea what to do. All I heard was to put salt in water and put it in someone's vein, which is not true. Don't do it. <laughs> um, and I called my dad 22 times because I knew that I could call him because we use drugs with him too, but I knew he would be there. And within minutes, he was there, called 911, did CPR. They drilled Narcan into Jake's kneecap. Um, and he clinically died three times. The longest time was 20 minutes. He was pronounced dead. He aspirated and um, his heart started rushing blood into his lungs and he was in a coma. And the doctor told me he has a 2020 or 2020 50-50% chance of living. And if he does live, he won't even know who you are. So I felt broken and lost and hopeless. Mind you, at this time, I was still really messed up from the drug use. Um, and I just had no idea what was going to happen. Four days later, God woke him up completely restored. Like his lungs were better than ever. His knee always popped out of place and was very painful. His knee 
did not pop out of place anymore and had no pain. His back, he always had back pain. His back wasn't hurting him. Like God literally restored him. Um, and we're like, we need to change our life. We cannot live like this. So we started going to Narcotics Anonymous and we met someone there that said, hey, come to Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate Recovery is a Christ-centered 12-step recovery program, not just for drugs and alcohol, but for sin, literally for sin. Like if you're struggling with depression, overeating, undereating, loss of a family member, um, sexual abuse, rejection, abandonment, like all these things that were my entire life is what you focus on through the blood of Jesus, um, the redemption through the blood of Jesus. At this time, I knew who Jesus was, but I ran from him because I wanted to, I was seeking to feed my own flesh. And um, so when we came to church, it was a little weird for me because I was raised Catholic and my grandma always told me only Catholics go to heaven, Protestants don't. So don't ever be a Protestant. So I felt guilty, like walking into a Protestant church, like I'm going to go to hell. I mean, I'm already going to go to hell, but now I'm really going to go to hell. <laughs> That's truly how I felt. Um, and everybody was so nice. Worship was amazing. The teaching was amazing. Three weeks after coming, I was like, I want to give my life to Christ. I don't want to be bound by these chains. I don't want to be in shackles and depressed and have this heavy, dark spirit over me. I, I can be free. I don't have to live this life that I don't have to deal the cards that were dealt for me because God dealt me new cards and he deals me new cards every day. So it was an incredible experience. It was one of those um, transformations where you're cussing, doing drugs, um, living in darkness one day, and then you give your life to Christ and like he just totally delivered us from that. And, um, but through Celebrate Recovery, I seen, um, God started revealing to me all these other hurts that I was hung up on and how he wanted to set me free from those, how I didn't have to be bound by them. And that is not my identity. My identity is in him. And that was so freeing for me, knowing that I don't have to be that. And, um, so, uh, and your husband at, or at this time, he, at this point, he was your boyfriend and did he have yes. that same change? Yes, it was miraculous because he was sexually abused too. always kind of just felt unloved in his life, which led to the drug abuse because, you know, you have friends when you do drugs, you know, people want to be around you when you're all using and, um, and so he was like, I prayed to God, but God never heard my prayers. And we were like half and half Christians. Uh, we were Christians at church. That's all when we did go. And it was tremendous and miraculous for me to see that in him, to see him say, I want to live for Jesus. So God is so good and he knows the plans and he has plans set out for us. When he overdosed, God already had a better job for him. God already had um, steps for him to take to walk 
in the light of Christ. So this job he had, he was loading, he was a loader operator, and he literally read his Bible for like five hours every time he went to work and listened to preaching and all that. So he just started filling himself with the word of God, renewing his mind. And I started to try to do the same. Um, and like, he just blew me away when he would like talk about Christ. And I would just like sit there astonished that, that he was on board as well as I was. When you guys and, came uh, to Christ, you started, you both started a new life. And, and whereas maybe the excitement before of all the drugs and the, you know, all, all that lifestyle, you totally exchanged and your admiration for the Lord and, and your desire to learn more and know more about him became the exchange between you two. And the passion between you was for the Lord. Wow. That is incredible. I love the way you put that. Praise him. So a year later in 2014, we got married um, and we started running Celebrate Recovery. We, we became the ministry leaders. And when they, when our church leaders presented uh, that decision to us, we were grateful and honored, but we were also like, no way. That's a lot of responsibility. We only have a year clean, but God doesn't work on the same time frame as we do. And I truly believe being in ministry kept us walking with the Lord because um, there was a lot of hard times with, so I'm sorry, let me backtrack a little bit. We were ministry leaders of Celebrate Recovery for five years. Um, and we bought a home, we bought a brand new vehicle, and then we had three children. Um, and it happened overnight, I feel like. I feel like one morning I woke up and I was like, we have three kids. <laughs> <laughs> it just kind of hit me. And um, the, the weight of ministry wore me down because it's not just, it wasn't just on a Wednesday night. Like you want to be involved with these people. You want to minister them. You want to pour into them. You want to love on them. You want to live life with them, right? And I was so committed to that. And I was so committed to being a mother and I was so committed to being a wife that I could not do it all. And so I told my husband, I was like, I really feel like we need to step down and step away for a little while because it's too much. Well, he agreed with the decision and we decided to step down. Well, within that time, his faith, his work, I think work was getting to him. He's around a lot of worldly people and a lot of drama. And, um, and when you're around that, it weighs on you, right? And so he was just already struggling in his walk with Christ. I was trying to figure out how to be a godly mother and a godly wife. So, so there came a point where you just felt like you need to step out of ministry for a little bit and take a breath, hit the reset button. And where are you now? Yes, I think that's good for everyone to reevaluate their walk and where God is calling them to be. And that's kind of what we did. Um, so the past year has been, there's been many highs and many lows, but God is on the mountain and God is in the valley. And we've met him at both places. <laughs> um, this past year, my husband has worked a lot and I've been home with the kids 
um, a lot, and especially since coronavirus, um, it's kind of secluded everyone from each other. But through that, God has revealed many things that I needed to see, that I needed to hear, that I needed to feel and claim as my identity. About three and a half months ago, my husband and I started to feed our own flesh. We fell into sin. We were habitually practicing sin. And we, ta we talked a lot and we told each other, if we're going to like live this life, this sinful life, then we're just gonna live this sinful life. Um, we knew that feeding our flesh, giving the enemy a foothold, not being aware of the schemes of the enemy would means running from the Lord. Because we were just so overwhelmed with work, a, a kitchen remodel that was supposed to be like a month long that turned into four months long because of COVID, um, three children, three little children, uh, the monotony of life, we were weary and we just started to not read our Bible, not listen to sermons, almost not even care what the Lord was desiring for our lives. And I think that's what the enemy does. He looks for the smallest little weakness in us and he plays on it and plays on it and plays on it until you finally give in or you don't and you are an overcomer and you receive that crown, right? Um, through this, um, journey, this dark journey, I seen all the signs of Jesus trying to call my name while I was in the deep miry clay. Through people, through scripture, through magnets on people's refrigerators, and through um, static in the radio. It's so crazy. It's almost like a scary movie whenever, you know, scary stuff comes through static in the radio. Um, we left this place after this dark place when we were in our sinful feeding our flesh and we were driving down the road and we were talking about the experience we just had and we were listening to rock and roll on the radio and um, a preacher kept coming in and out and it was talking about walking in darkness. You cannot walk in darkness and be in the light. And I just looked at my husband and I was like, we need to turn this off. We don't want to hear the word of God. We want to sin. Pretty much is what we did. And um, so our sin escalated into a big, huge situation. And I feel like in the midst of it, we were drowning and we were saying, hey, throw us a life preserver, help us. But everyone seen what God did in our life and we're like, oh, Jake and Kaylee, they're fine. They're good. They're, you know, role models and all this. So we had our lifestyle, what God had done for us was keeping us afloat through our sin and no, no one's seen our sin because we didn't want anyone to. They just seen us how we were, and we were spiraling, spiraling down so deep into the darkness. Well, um, whenever all of it came to a head, I cried and cried and cried one night. And I was like, I know I cannot live like this. 
I don't want this for my children. I don't want this for me. I don't want this for my husband. And this is not the life God has for me. I know God's word. I know his truth. And I need to stop giving the enemy a foothold and feeding my flesh. And I woke up the next morning, literally with the sun shining on my face, the son of God shining on my face. And all that came to my mind was, I'm going to walk in the light. And ever since then, it's been hard because I have had to face the reality and the pain of my sin, the attacks from the enemy. So I'm like putting on that helmet of righteousness, right? Or breastplate of righteousness. So I've been putting on this helmet of salvation. Salvation. Amen. To withstand the attacks from the enemy because they come. And I break out in this song, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. God will do what he says he's going to do because it's true. These thoughts come in my mind. Temptation comes my way. And I struggle, but I know that God is so much bigger and that God is for me and that God desires me to walk in the freedom that he has given me. So that's the freedom not to sin. And all these truths were coming to me. And before my husband and I um, fell into this, I was angry and I didn't know I was so angry. I was angry all the time, like deep rooted anger within me. And I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, prayed, God, please deliver me from this. And after I regave my life to Jesus and submitted myself to his lordship, and my husband and us saying, you know what? We want to live for Christ. And if we can't look at other people in their sin or the way that they are Christians or the way they live for Jesus, we're different. We need to look at the way God calls us to live for him. And that anger was completely delivered for me. I've not been angry at all. And like, I feel free. And before, whenever I tried to walk in grace, I didn't realize truly what walking and how freeing walking in grace is. And now I'm like, I feel so delivered and so free from walking in sin to now walking in grace. Um, Cause grace walking in grace is not something that you have to accomplish for yourself. Walking in grace is you're there. You're, you're part of it. You're present in what God has provided for mm-hmm. you through his grace. Yes. What a opportunity to live for Jesus, right? Right. So I guess I'll end my story with this. I had to realize that I cannot walk in light and in darkness and no one can make that choice for me. I can walk in sin. I can be a drug addict, an alcoholic, a gossiper, full of drama, um, looking at other people's opinions, getting mad at people, being self-righteous, trying to justify myself. And I named those because that's where I was. Justifying myself, claiming, oh, I can be like this because da-da-da-da, or I can think like this, or I can say, you know what, Jesus, you're better, you're higher, you're greater, you're wonderful and you love me you lavish yourself upon me you give me your holy spirit and i can live for you i have the freedom to live for you so when those thoughts come in my mind i don't have to identify with them i don't have to claim them i can cast them away in the name of jesus and i can rise above 
all of the depression and darkness around me because I've been called. And I do encourage others to make Jesus bigger and keep our eyes focused on him. Because when we focus on Jesus, everything else minimizes. And I love the verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And I love your story. I love all the details and how you've learned. And the Lord has brought you out of that darkness into the light. But you're right. It is a continual um, relationship with him. It is not, he did it once and now I can do whatever I want. It's a continual renewing of your mind and seeking truth and walking in his light. And I just, I know every time I talk to you and every time I see your pictures on Instagram, that is like sunshine in my life because you are uh, a testimony to God's goodness and his power. Thank you so much for sharing with me today. And uh, if people want to find you on Instagram, I wrote down your Instagram account. It's Kaylee.Ann.Jane. And I'm going to link it in the show notes if people want to connect with you there. And we have another episode we are going to record together on a little different note. So people are going to want to come back and listen to, as long as we're still doing this one, we're going to talk about home birth and your home births in the next episode that we record together. So I'm so excited and I hope all the ladies were encouraged and will jump back on with us for the next episode that we do together. And in the meantime, do you just want to close us out in prayer? Sure. Father, you are so good, Jesus. We thank you for your grace and the opportunity to repent from our sin and turn towards you and pursue you and live a life of joy and peace, Lord. I pray for everyone listening to this podcast, Lord, that you can use my story to impact them, Lord that we don't have to walk in darkness. We don't have to be bound by sin, but we can choose to walk in the light, Father. We thank you for breaking chains. We thank you for lavishing us with your love. We love you, God, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope that you've been encouraged or challenged in your faith today and that something we discussed prompts you to grow deeper in your walk with the Lord. If it has, make sure you tell a friend so they can grow along with you. And if you or a friend would like to be a guest and share about God's faithfulness in your life, please email me at podcast at Because when we tell of God's faithfulness, we never run out of stories. Whatever is true.